This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. Our, our guest today is Aaron Klein, CEO of Riskalyze, and uh, we are speaking to him about the for the Knowledge at Wharton podcast on fintech. And joining us again is uh, a former uh, Wharton colleague, uh, Vinay Nair, uh, uh, who is now a fintech entrepreneur. So Vinay and Aaron, thank you so much for joining us today. Great to be with you. Great. Um, thank you, Mukul, and thanks, Aaron, for for taking time out and uh, joining us for this podcast series on fintech. Absolutely. Um, Vinay, would you like to lead off with the questions? Yes. Uh, you know, one question which I think just for the for the listeners to get some context into, Aaron, would be, let's just begin with what problem is Riskalyze solving and for whom? Sure. Well, you know, back in, uh, in 2011, my co-founder and I um, just kind of had this sense that for the average person, investing was broken. And, and it just, you know, if you dug into why it felt broken, I think there's a few different reasons. Um, I, I think that uh, our psychology tends to sabotage us when we invest. Um, Warren Buffett probably said it best. Stocks are literally the only thing that consumers refuse to buy when they're at their cheapest and only want to buy when they're at their most expensive. So we always want to get involved in the markets and put more risk on when things are feeling good. Uh, and then we want to you know, take risk off and get out of the markets um, at the worst possible time when things feel bad. And so our, our, you know, we tend to sabotage ourselves as investors and um and I think the way that the industry tries to solve that problem is we just deluge the investor with statistics. We came to the conclusion that a better way was to build a short-term framework to help the average investor understand and react to risk appropriately, because when you can do that, you can take a fearful investor who makes really bad short-term decisions and turn them into a fearless investor who makes really great short-term decisions. And as we all know, the only way to ever achieve long-term financial goals is one great short-term decision at a time. Terrific. Um, let me just just uh, jump a bit sideways into your background, Aaron. Tell us a bit about how you spotted this problem and what what motivated you to start the firm around it. Sure. Well, my career had always sort of been, you know, at the intersection of finance and technology. Um, I uh, had done, you know, a company in the in the payment space, um, had done some other things in staff software, and then uh, was running global products for a division of an options brokerage firm. And it was it was while I was there that I just, you know, I was remarking to a friend of mine uh, who was a financial advisor. I said, you know, it's crazy how average investors think about the concept of risk. And he said, if you think that's crazy, you got to see how their financial advisors think about it. Um, and so it was, it was kind of from that conversation that was the impetus for us starting the company. He's my co-founder today, our chief investment officer, Mike McDaniel. And, um, and we just really both shared a passion for uh, trying to change that reality for the average investor. And it's our belief that when financial advisors aren't afraid to talk about risk, um, investors aren't afraid to make the right decision. And that's really what led us to start the company in the first place. 
Very interesting. Um, can you can you give us a sense of what your risk number model is and uh, sure. why advisors are attracted to it? Yeah, I mean, at the core of the risk number is, um, you know, we, we, we built the technology on top of the academic framework that won the Nobel Prize for Economics in 2002. Um, Dr. Daniel Kahneman and uh, Dr. Amos Tversky, uh, their work on prospect theory. And so, you know, we've had a team of academics um, come in and do a deep dive into the methodology. And, you know, to some extent, they came back out and they said, you know, uh, on the one hand, there, there are a lot of really novel things in what you've done. On the other hand, um, a lot of what you've done is taken stuff that we've been working on in the labs for 15 and 20 years and figured out a way to make it uh, commercially viable and understandable by the average human. Um, we took that as a high compliment, and it, it was our view that, uh, that that's really what needed to happen. So it's very quantitative. It's very objective. It's based on dollar amounts that are relevant to the individual. Uh, and we built a framework to, to go up and down uh, an investor's financial spectrum because it's very important that it be relevant to the individual investor, right? The individual investor understand how to answer these questions because otherwise garbage in, garbage out. And so we go up and down an individual's financial spectrum, understanding where they prefer risk, where they prefer certainty, building a model of how they will react when their actual investments move up and down within their financial spectrum. And then we can take that mathematical model and translate it across to actual portfolios. Um, and the, and, you know, with, in terms of portfolio analysis, we, um, you know, we've got nearly a quarter of a million different securities and uh, investment strategies on the platform today. Uh, we build, you know, a return and volatility model for each of those securities every night. And then in real time, when we analyze portfolios, we're building a cross-correlation matrix to understand the impacts of diversification on, on those portfolios. And then, of course, all of that rolls up into a portfolio-wide risk number and probability range. And so that's, that's kind of how we bridge those two. You know, the outcome of a client is their risk number. The outcome of their portfolio is also a risk number. And it really creates a powerful platform for financial advisors to demonstrate that alignment between a client and their portfolio. Great. You know, Aaron, one of, um, one of my pet peeves in the space of fintech generally has been there's a lot of tech and very little fin. Um, <laughs> I like that. And um, so far, our discussion has largely focused on the finance part of your business model. Tell us a bit about what uh, makes this a fintech company. Yeah, it's a great question, and I love I love that point of view because at, at the end of the day, um, technology is at its best when it serves the human and when it serves what the human is trying to do. And the ultimate goal uh, with any piece of fintech technology is actually not to do the tech; it's to do the fin, <laughs> and so. Um, so the, the technology, you know, we, we do our best every day when, when we are, we are in our DNA a technology company, but we're at our best when we try to make the technology sort of recede into the background and create an experience that's immersive and actually helps the end user, whether it's the financial advisor or the investor, actually get to their, to their end goal. Um, and so, you know, what makes us a technology company in our DNA um, it, it, it is sort of baked the ability to create great user experiences. Um, I felt like that was going to be a really, really important piece 
of the puzzle to building a fintech solution that, uh, that investors would actually use, a risk solution that people would actually use. Um, and, and I think that's been borne out in our success. So we started from day one when there were just three people in the company with you know, a really, really strong academic core technology engineer, um, you know, physicist by training, uh, and then a really, really strong user experience focused engineer. Um, and, and then, you know, myself, uh, sort of as a, as a product person with a lot of vision for, I, I think, where the industry needed to go. And, um, and then my co-founder, uh, who, who really brought to the table a lot of really great perspective on risk investments and, uh, the financial advice industry. And it was really the four of us who were able to help shape the product in the direction it needed to go. And you can trace most of the DNA in the company back to those four people who were there on day one. And uh, starting from that day one, where in the life cycle are you at today? What stage is the firm at? Yeah, well, it's, it's been a wild ride. You know, we spent the first year really building out our core technology. Um, we spent the second year where um, we had sort of launched, we, we were trying to validate the technology and we really felt like great financial advisors are not going to road test brand new risk technology on the clients. So we've got to start by validating the technology with, um, you know, sort of the, the, the small self-directed investor. And so we started with a, a very simple free version of the product for, um, you know, your $25,000 E-Trade kind of, of, of guys. And, um, and, you know, that was, that 2012 was sort of our year of successful failure. The success part was we got some great PR, New York Times, Barron's, NPR. We had users come in and build $2 billion in portfolios on the platform. And so that was a great success. The failure part was none of our strategies for monetizing that product were working. Uh, and so we were, um, you know, really, uh, bottom line is we, we just didn't have the right strategy for actually making the technology viable. And um, near the end, you know, in the fall of 2012, um, we really just decided that it was time to sort of uh, change the strategy, just, just shake up the strategy and go in a different direction. We believed in the technology. We believed in the, in the direction of the company and the core vision and mission of the company. Um, but our strategy wasn't getting us there. And so um, we said, well, we did. We have built about two billion dollars worth of validation. Like, let's rebuild the product for financial advisors, and let's see if we can't. You know, we'll make this our last ditch effort and see if we can't. You know, get something to spark. And we rolled the financial advisor product out of beta in March of 2013. Um, you know, we had four full-time employees in the company at that point in time. No customers. No. You know, and and lo and behold, here we are, four and a half years later. And uh, today we serve over 20,000 financial advisors and have over 200 employees, we call them riskalizers, um, serving those financial advisors across the country. So it's been a wild four years. We're still very much in growth mode. We feel like we're just scratching the surface of the innovation that we can bring to the advisor client engagement experience, particularly around the concepts of risk. Um, and so, uh, you know, that's, that's kind of the stage that we're in. It's, it's exciting days without a doubt. Very, very exciting journey. I want to just pick up on two things you mentioned, Aaron. One is, like most uh, most successful companies, there's there's learning from from things that don't go the way you expect it to go. I hesitate to use yep. that. Yeah. Um, 
but often you find that you also need the right partners to help you continue that journey when that happens. Yep, absolutely. About in this space, many fintech entrepreneurs wonder a bit about the right type of capital partner, the right type of partners you should have in your ecosystem that allows you to to learn from your failures. What would your advice be to them? Um, I think that's that's a great point, and um, I'll attack it a couple of different ways. Number one, uh, the you know there actually was a partnership that was um, a, a huge catalyst for us uh, in in terms of of our growth and really starting to jumpstart the growth of our business. And uh, it was it was a partnership uh, with. Uh, a guy who is um, one of my best friends today. His name is Brian McLaughlin. He's the CEO of Redtail, and Redtail builds CRM software for financial advisors. And you know, Brian and I have become friends, and it became clear uh, that you know there was a, an interesting opportunity uh, where doing some integration to make Redtail and Riskalyze share data uh, would actually be really helpful to both of our customers. Uh, for us, though, it was really incredible because it, it, it just sort of gave us exposure and put us on the map. And, you know, I, I, Brian was incredibly generous and, and um, you know, gave us uh, uh, that kind of exposure. And uh, he wasn't really looking for any kind of revenue sharing deal or anything like that. He just, you know, genuinely felt that if I uh, try to expose good solutions and integrate good solutions that my customers are going to need, that's going to be good for my business and good for uh, retaining Redtail customers. And um, and so we did that partnership, and that was a huge catalyst in, in our growth. So partnerships executed well um, can, can be a great catalyst um, for, for a company's strategy, without a doubt. On the capital market side, you know, um, it's very interesting. We were um, – we were definitely we're, we're we're very non-traditional from that perspective. We uh, had been funded by uh, basically friends and family money, you know, small angel investors. And uh, before we did our first institutional uh, capital raise, we had deployed about four and a half million dollars of capital in the business, and we had, you know, a revenue, you know, definitely uh, exceeding that by by a good long shot. Um, and so uh, we had always sort of had the discipline where, you know, once we actually got a business going, we could pretty quickly get our revenue number above the capital deployed number. And, um, and so that, that, that was definitely uh, a big, uh, uh, very helpful in our growth um, and helped us to be a very capital efficient company. Um, you know, throughout 2016, we, we just began looking at this and going, well, we have the opportunity here, given our growth um, trajectory, we have an opportunity to build a really long-term independent partner for advisors that can really change the advisor-client engagement experience, put risk at the core of it, and really make a huge dent in the world in terms of turning people into fearless investors. And, you know, that's been our, our vision from day one. And, uh, and so that was really exciting to us. So we, um, we went ahead and raised uh, $20 million in capital from uh, a great firm called FTV Capital. Uh, they used to be known as Financial Technology Ventures. They're a little bit broader now, but that's you know at, at the core of who their firm was. 
They're long-term patient investors. That was the, the, the big thing I was looking for. And I, I said to him, I said, you know, I don't really want, um, you know, pressure in two or three years to just do a quick flip of this thing. And they said, look, you know, we, uh, we were uh, the first institutional investors in financial engines. And that was a 13-year hold before financial engines went public. Um, so that was, you know, definitely what I wanted to hear and the right kind of partner that I wanted to be partnered with um, to, to fund our company if we were going to put ourselves on this uh, on this path to building a long-term independent partner for uh, for the advisors that we're privileged to serve. Very helpful. And let's look at the business side again. How did you build this uh, impressive network of you know, tens and thousands of advisors? What was the strategy that that worked. Yeah. You know, um, at, at the end of the day, uh, there's really there was really no silver bullet there. Um, I can't point to one specific thing. It was just a lot of backbreaking hard work um, and, a, and a fantastic. And that was that work, by the way, was on uh, on the part of an incredible team that we've been able to build and have been um, I, I've been hugely privileged to be a part of. Um, you know, we have uh we have a, a, a team, uh, a sales development team, and a sales team that is um, out there having conversations with individual financial advisors. And, you know, look, you've got to be very disciplined. You've got to be very um, effective and, and to, to be able to make the economics work uh, when you're dealing with a product at a price point that an individual advisor can't afford. It's, it's, it's difficult. It's not easy. It's not for everyone. Um, once we, you know, were able to, to start getting some growth and got our brand going, um, you know, uh, that became easier and easier. And, you know, over time, we were in a position where we could, you know, bring a new customer aboard and be profitable on that customer, you know, within the space of four to six months. Um, that definitely is a requirement when you're dealing with the individual advisor market. We're dealing with sort of low annual contract values. Um uh, but that's that's how we've done it. We've done it from the from the bottoms up. And so, you know, one of the really positive things about that for our business is that, um, you know, for the longest time, I think our largest customer was like one and a half percent of our revenue. Um, it, it creates it, it creates its own set of unique challenges because you've got a, a much larger number of customers to support. But on the other hand, you've also got a very resilient, diverse revenue base. And so we're, we're, um, it's, it's been a great journey. Um, hasn't been without its challenges, but, uh, but you know, that's how we built that, uh, that advisor network is just a lot of hard work and a lot of investment in our people and, um, very proud of what that team has accomplished. And how do you grow from here? Given that, you know, you already have access to a substantial number of advisors. How do you think of growth? Well, you know, we look at it and say, we think we're just getting started. Like if you look at the, you know, 20,000 plus that we are privileged to serve today, um, you know, depending on how you want to count, um, we, we haven't even quite crossed 10% market share. So from our perspective, we've got a long way to go. Um, uh, and, and in order to achieve our mission of empowering the world to invest fearlessly, let's not forget you know, um, the world isn't just the United States. We're, we're, you know, it's it's a great place to start, but there are 
advisors that we hear from every day in you know Australia, the UK, and Canada asking for us to come to those countries, and so we're we're working towards that as well. Um, so, bottom line, um, we've got we've we've still got a lot of opportunity for growth in the core. Um, at the same time, we are working to, you know, what we've heard from our advisors is, boy, you have revolutionized how I engage with clients. You've revolutionized how I make decisions for clients. You know, the next thing that is driving me crazy is how difficult it is for me to implement the decisions that I make for my clients. And we rolled out our autopilot platform to help advisors automate that with the risk number at its core. So, in other words, an advisor can make a decision that I'm going to put a client in this portfolio Autopilot can automate all the trades that need to occur to, to put that account in that portfolio and then keep the account on track. So when the account's risk number drifts away from where the advisor wants to keep it, um, Autopilot surfaces the right steps, the right tasks uh, that the advisor needs to, needs to take at the right time uh, to get that account back on track. And um, as we like to put it, take the hassles of, of, of an advisor's business, put them on autopilot so they can focus on their client relationships once again. Very, very interesting. And this, this also leads to something which I know Mukul personally also cares a lot about, is the educational aspect of your business. Um, sure. And what is, tell us about Riskalyze Academy, what do you do there? and uh, and what are your goals with that initiative? Absolutely. So, you know, we we started at the beginning just saying, you know, we can't just start your average support team um, to, to, to make this grow because implementing the risk number into an advisor's business is just, we wish it was as easy as putting a new app on your phone, but it's just not quite that easy. You're talking about weaving a whole bunch of concepts about risk into your client engagement, your client interactions, your client meetings. Um, and, and so that's a lot of work. I, it, it takes some work. It takes some, some support and coaching for an advisor to get there. So we, we have invested consistently in, in having the industry's best support. Um, we consistently hear from advisors that, uh, you know, we have 95% plus customer satisfaction ratings with our support. So we love that. Advisors love those support reps back. Um, we also invested in a team of coaches that works day in and day out just to help advisors be more successful in the work that they do. We do, um, you know, ongoing training uh, every week, um, you know, both both 101 and 201 classes just to help advisors, you know, understand, learn, and become more successful. And it just became clear to us that we had an opportunity to, to sort of take that to the next level. Uh, we did that a couple of ways. We launched our first ever customer conference, the Fearless Investing Summit, and um got to bring, you know, uh, three packed days of, of education to our advisors to help them be more successful in their businesses and, and empowering their clients to invest fearlessly. Um, but we also uh, launched Riskalyze Academy, which you mentioned, which is uh, an online learning platform that uh, helps advisors and their employees and their firms uh, sort of take their knowledge in, in how to weave the risk number into their client meetings to the next level and has you know uh, multimedia video and assessments to help them uh, assess their their way along the riskalyze journey in there. So you know overall, if you just step back, we believe that if we can make advisors more successful in using our technology, we'll get to continue to serve them for longer, and we'll help them ultimately impact more investors. And that goes to our core mission: empowering the world to invest fearlessly. So that's been a place that we've wanted to invest. Um, you know to 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 help. Uh, achieve that mission a little bit quicker. 
And uh, what would uh, worry you? What are the principal risks that you see, whether it's in the regulatory, technological, or competitive domains um, that, that would uh, keep you up? Sure. I, you know, I think from a regulatory standpoint, um, regulators seem to love what we do. Um, you know, sometimes regulatory decisions can seem capricious, but typically what we found is there's a human being there who uh, who has the best interests of, of investors at heart. And, you know, again, our, our belief is more transparency around risk, more understanding of risk is critically important. And, um, you know, so far, we have we have always seen risk, uh, regulators agree with that assessment. Um, the, the you know there's always competitive risk to a business. There's always technological risk to a business. Um, but I, I just tell the team you know at this point we are about you know five years ahead. Uh, we've got about a five year head start from any serious competitor wanting to come in and try to catch up with where we're at. So our job is just to. You know, we don't, we don't want to sit there and stress about looking at what other companies are doing. We want to stay focused on our vision of where we see the industry going, where we think the industry needs to go, and push towards that vision. Because the faster we do that, um, the faster we get six years ahead on somebody mounting a serious challenge to us. So that, that, that's kind of how we stay focused on that. And let me just uh, take the last few minutes, Aaron, to get your sense on the broader fintech industry. There's yeah. been a lot of um, buzz around you know, the industry. What um, what areas of the industry do you think have the highest growth potential? Yeah, that's a great question. I think um, there are incredible opportunities to completely change the user experience around banking. And, um, you know, Simple Bank was one of the early – uh, examples of that, and of course, ended up selling to BBV, BBVA. Um, but you know, recent changes in in how the um, the Feds are allowing uh, new banking charters for some of the new uh, you know uh, disruptive startup companies, I think, are really interesting. And there's just you know, I, I I don't know. I just look at how my wife still uses a paper checkbook to try to keep track of her budget categories with her debit card. And I just go, there's got to be a better way to solve that kind of problem. Um, and, you know, uh, I, I just think that, uh, you know, banking and how we do personal finances uh, is, a, is a really interesting place to do disruption. We're starting to see it, I would argue, in the, in the debt side of fintech. You know, the things that a firm is doing are really, really interesting. Um, I, and I think that there's a place for um, – you know, one of the places that we might see both banking and debt and even wealth management disruption pop up um, are, um, are spots around, uh, you know, how we move money to each other. I'm really intrigued by what Square is doing with Square Cash, um, very intrigued by, um, by uh, you know, some of these different companies that are um, starting to get into where you, where you store funds because that's ultimately what a bank looks like. And they're, you know, maybe just a, a few features away from actually looking a little bit like a bank. Um, if you decide to go down that path, then, you know, you've got a lot of interesting things you can do. But one of them is definitely wealth management. I think that there are opportunities for, um, for companies that already have distribution um, and already have relationships with customers to offer 
you know, that, that first tier of wealth management services. I don't think that's going to disrupt the financial advisors that we serve, but I do think it could be highly disruptive to the, um, the self-directed kinds of brokerage accounts, which are basically just like really rudimentary, you know, buy and sell platforms. Um, the idea that, you know, anything from an Amazon to a Square Cash could offer some simple ways to get market exposure on your money, um, you know, that's a way more powerful value proposition than businesses like Wealthfront, which start from scratch and have zero distribution and zero access to customers. Um, so I, I, that's where I think that there's a lot of interesting uh, variants. It's very difficult to build distribution from scratch, and you better have some strong revenue streams to be able to support it. It's hard enough when you're dealing with businesses like Riskalyze is, um, you know, but, but boy, it's really tough with consumers. And some of those uh, robo-advice businesses that we've seen out there trying to grow are spending $825 to acquire $63 in annual revenue. And that's not a business model that's going to work. Um, so I, I, I find it really interesting to look at the, at the companies um, or even the startups that, that are, are, are already have distribution somewhere else. That's where I think wealth management businesses um, at scale might be kind of interesting. And I, I do believe that there's space for those kinds of services, but they're going to largely disrupt self-directed investing. And do you think uh, that's going to bring in entrants from outside finance? I think it's very possible. Um, I would bet on Amazon before uh, any of them. Amazon, you know, uh, has most uh, uh, adults uh, with a net worth, uh, well, let's not even say that. Most adults with uh, liquid cash exceeding $300 in their bank account registered on their service. <laughs> you know, so... So I would just say that, you know, Amazon has some of the most interesting reach into consumers, and it's a global reach. Uh, but even if you just think about the United States, like, you, you'd be hard-pressed to find, uh, you know, uh, uh, an adult that doesn't have, have an Amazon account. Um, that's incredible distribution and reach. And to the extent that they begin to leverage their Amazon payments business into being a place that you store money, and then eventually being a place that you could click and get some market exposure on your money, um, that's a very, very interesting business. Doesn't disrupt the need for real financial advice. Absolutely is wildly disruptive to self-directed investing businesses that want to charge you a transactional fee to place trades that you don't even understand. So um, I, I find that to be hugely compelling, but you've got to have distribution. Great products are great, but great products without distribution um, never, never reach um, you know, sustainability. That's my view. Excellent. Uh, that pretty much brings us to a close. It was it was wonderful talking to you, Aaron. Thank you for your for your sharing your journey, for your insights on both the company as well as the industry. And uh, we hope to speak to you again in the future um, as your firm grows. Absolutely, my pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Thanks very much. Thank you. For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.